Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. During the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hey, I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. And I'm Trevor. And, and we're, we're the, the Boo, Boo Crew! Crew! Welcome to episode 71. If you're listening, there's a time of release. We are trick-or-treating and you would Okay, you sound like Beetlejuice. Sorry. If you're listening to this at time of release, we are trick-or-treating you into October with a full-size candy bar of a show. First up, a creepy new documentary called Wrinkles the Clown crawls out from under your bed this Friday, October 4th in theaters and VOD. Remember the rash of random, disturbing clown sightings that appeared all across America a few years ago? Wrinkles was arguably the catalyst for all that. Director Michael B. Nichols joins us to take you into the darkness of internet lore. Then we are haunted by the architect of your nightmare. Haunt maze designer, entrepreneur, and musician John Cook, a.k.a. Johnny Plague. Find out what goes into making the immersive experiences that you love so much this Halloween season. We talk about his influential deathcore band, Winds of Plague, and why, if you are local to the L.A. area, or will find yourself here over the next month or so, you cannot miss this year's L.A. Haunted Hayride. We've got your front-of-the-line pass right here. This is John Cook. You are about to immerse yourself in another haunted episode of... The Boo Crew. Something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. The Boo Crew. The freshest cuts of new stuff. Here's Sweet Screams. about wrinkles through a news story meet southwest florida's wrinkles the clown you can call him he'll scare people for you you don't know if he's trying to do this for fun or trying to kill you it's like a boogeyman situation. Oh, my God! We know that there's a human underneath, and yet you don't know the identity, and that creeps people out. you got to be afraid of Ring. He's real. By calling him, you're essentially inviting him in into your life. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an Emmy-nominated and award-winning filmmaker whose fearless journeys into storytelling gave us his 2013 debut, the documentary Flexus Kings, followed by the acclaimed Welcome to Leith, which premiered at 2015 Sundance Film Festival. Festival. It went on to be screened, shared, and talked about all over the place, from South by Southwest to PBS. He directed the Brooklyn Flex web series for Ashton Kutcher's Thrash Lab and was part of the award-winning team behind the Sundance Channel's Brick City. He is also the co-founder of the creative collective No Weather out of New York, whose work has been featured on MTV, The New York Times, Days, The Fader, and even banned from YouTube. His latest project made its debut at Fantastic Fest. It's the doc everybody is talking about, the bizarre, real-life story of the incredibly creepy wrinkles 
the clown that crawled out of YouTube and into our nightmares back in 2014 with a grainy video shot on what looks like a nanny cam of him emerging from underneath the bed of a sleeping child only to end with him approaching the camera cutting to static. And with that, internet lore was born as well as clown sightings and a fear that spread all over Southwest Florida. We are honored to be speaking with the director of Wrinkles the Clown. If you're listening to this at time of release in theaters and on demand Friday, October 4th, Michael Beach Nichols. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a fascinating film and a very inventive way of telling this story. How did you discover the Wrinkles phenomenon? Back in, I guess it was 2015, a friend forwarded me that really creepy video that you described of Wrinkles coming out from underneath the sleeping child's bed just because he thought it was crazy. And I saw it and I was just completely intrigued. I thought it was really creepy, but really kind of funny. And I just wanted to know more. And shortly after that, there was actually a Kickstarter that was happening where a filmmaker that was based down in Southwest Florida was trying to raise funds to do a documentary about wrinkles. So I actually donated to the campaign and reached out to the filmmaker because this campaign wasn't really doing very well. And I've done several Kickstarters for my previous films. And so I had some, you know, some tips to sort of share. So we started a a brief correspondence. Ultimately, the Kickstarter was not successful. And so I remember I was just kind of like talking to my collaborators. And I was like, oh, that's really unfortunate. That that could have been such a great project. Like, should we reach out to this guy and see if we can like help him? But ultimately, we decided not to not to do that. And then about six months later, my managers actually brought this project to me because a company in Los Angeles had reached out to that filmmaker and asked him if they could help him sort of find a, you know, a more experienced filmmaker sort of like take the reins basically. And so I was incredibly excited that the project kind of came back to me. And then that filmmaker just introduced us to Wrinkles and we sort of took it from there. What about that mystery of Wrinkles spoke to you as a story that needed to be told? I mean, I think that there's something really, you know, fascinating in terms of, you know, what becomes viral and how viral videos sort of spread. And I think the fact that wrinkles to this day is still is completely anonymous. No one knows who's behind the mask. Um, I felt like that was something that was really interesting, but it was only when he told us that he had this phone number that was tied to a Google voice account with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of voicemails that we really sort of wanted to move forward on the project. That voicemail archive is now over 2 million messages that have been left in the four years or the five years now that that phone number has been active. And so once we learned about the existence of those voicemails and we got our hands on them and just started listening to all of these bizarre and sweet and violent and racist and just sort of the entire spectrum of message types, then we really felt like not only could we sort of get in on the ground level of a sort of making of viral videos and a viral character, but we could also look and see and, and talk to people that had reached out to Wrinkles and sort of gained their perspective on what compelled them to reach out to this anonymous internet clown. I wanted to talk a bit about those voicemails. As you said, there's all sorts of insane calls and texts and things that people reach out to him daily. What was the experience like of going through those to make this film? And was there anything you found particularly terrifying about some of those? The process of going through the voicemails was incredibly disturbing and pretty brutal overall. We spent about four months, myself, my partner, Chris, several PAs, several interns, just basically spending all day, every day, listening to these voicemails. We had a friend of ours who's a software engineer build us a database interface 
so we could search through the voicemails by keyword, by city, by state, and we could rate them. So basically, we would just spend all day listening to these voicemails, give them a rating, tag them with the sort of theme of the call. And then as certain calls stood out, we would take the next step by texting that person and then seeing if we could get into contact with them get in contact with their parents. And then the next step would be a Skype interview. But yeah, I mean, I think overall, the majority of the voicemails were pretty violent and pretty sexual. A lot of very sort of pranky calls where, you know, obviously you can be anonymous and you don't know who you're speaking with. And so people just sort of like felt that freedom to sort of just go wild. But yeah, I think that that was the sort of most disheartening aspect of it was to just listen to these pretty obscene calls. And they were usually from children. That was something that was also you know, kind of shocking to hear these like 12 year olds just leave these profoundly violent messages for wrinkles. And then every so often there would be a parent using the phone number sort of the way that it was meant to be used, which was to use wrinkles as a disciplinary tool. But what we found were a lot of parents were calling the voicemail and pretending that they were speaking to wrinkles while their child was in the background, just completely believing that their parent was talking to wrinkles and just screaming and crying, just in total anguish because they were so scared that this clown was going to show up at their house. What percentage would you say were the actual calls from the parents looking to get in contact with Wrinkles himself? I'd say probably 5%. It really felt like most of the calls were kids who knew that Wrinkles could be hired by their parents to scare them from misbehaving. And so what they were doing where they were sort of like taking the power back and they were calling Wrinkles and telling him, if you show up outside my window... I'm going to cut your head off. And so it was this sort of kid sort of taking the power back and sort of letting Wrinkles know that if he came anywhere near them, they'd be ready for him. Part of that lore as you're talking about is that Wrinkles actually reports to offer this behavioral correction services to families to keep their children in check. And the film talks to parents who actually do this. And this kind of thing goes back to legends even like La Llorona and Krampus that have become parenting tools. What are your thoughts on using that iconography to alter behavior through fear? I don't have kids, but I think it's definitely sort of the case-by-case basis. I think that some kids are better equipped to handle that sort of thing. And and for me, it's less about child behavior modification. It's more about, I feel like it's kind of a fun thing if your kid can handle it. I feel like when I was a kid, I would have thought it was kind of scary, but kind of fun. And I would have been sort of intrigued if my parents were calling this creepy clown. But I think that some kids just cannot handle it. And we heard a lot of those voicemails where kids are just screaming and just sound like they're having a meltdown. And so I, I think that parents hopefully should know their kids and sort of know what they can handle. Right, yeah, that was horrifying to hear the kids screaming in the background of some of these calls. It was really scary. So one of the scariest things that the film does is really serve as a reflection of that internet generation getting into the way this type of folklore is passed along and discovered things like the Momo Challenge hoax most recently and Slender Man. You spend a lot of the documentary kind of telling the story of wrinkles through the eyes of children, as you said, and the kids are even using Skype to tell you their experiences. There's even a child featured who becomes obsessed with wrinkles that is particularly chilling. Talk a bit about that side of the story that exists here in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that we were in a very interesting moment in terms of our sort of relationship with the internet and sort of young people's relationship with the internet. Wrinkles is a relatively funny and mostly harmless sort of example of an internet myth. I think what makes 
sort of wrinkles unique is that there's sort of a call to action. There's a phone number. You can sort of take another step and you can reach out to this person and sort of reach through the looking glass, as it were. And I think that that's been very compelling to a lot of people. And I think that's why they've sort of taken that step and left that voicemail. But yeah, there are certainly, you know, other sort of examples of internet lore, like you mentioned, the Momo challenge and, and things like that, that seem to have much more dangerous potential implications for self-harm. All the kids that we interviewed, we spoke with their parents and, you know, a lot of their parents, most of their parents had no idea what their kids were sort of getting into online. You know, you can't really monitor them all the time and you want them to sort of become internet savvy because obviously that's something that a well-rounded person needs to be in this day and age. But at the same time, they can sort of go down these very dark rabbit holes. I think that Wrinkles is sort of giving an overview of, you know, one particular instance of internet folklore and the reactions to that. But I think it also portends uh, much more sinister instances of this kind of thing happening in the, in the future with the sort of advanced technology of deep fakes and that becoming a lot more common. I think that, you know, the ability to spread misinformation and sort of not really knowing what's real and what's not real on the internet is going to only become trickier terrain to navigate. Right now, Wrinkles is very light, but I think that there's a lot of dark stuff, very, very dark stuff that's coming. What was the process like of actually reaching out to Wrinkles, who by nature is built on mystique to let you behind the curtain? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that was luck. I think because I'd already established a relationship with this filmmaker down in Southwest Florida who knew him who could kind of vouch for me. I mean, the fact that I'd sort of made a few films before Wrinkles kind of showed that I, you know, I knew how to complete something. So those things were in my favor. And also just the fact I'm actually from Fort Myers. I was raised there. So that's Fort Myers is, is right next to Naples. And so I'm from that same area where Wrinkles lives. And so those were the sort of things that got me in the door. And then once we were speaking with Wrinkles and right up front, he told us he'd be interested in considering doing a film, but he was not willing to reveal his identity. And then once we sort of agreed that for us, that wasn't what we were out to do, even though, you know, initially, of course, that's the, that's the logical sort of end game with this type of film is you'd paint this picture and then you'd reveal the identity. And that's sort of the big reveal. And, and, once he explained, you know, why he didn't want to be have his identity revealed, and also the fact that by not revealing his identity, we can still hold on to some of that mystique and some of that power of wrinkles, even though we do reveal a lot in the film that could potentially take away from that power. We were sort of on board with that, and he trusted us to not, you know, try to get him and try to show who he was. So it was all about a lot about trust, essentially, which is pretty much the same for any documentary. To your knowledge, at any point, has law enforcement caught up with Wrinkles or uh, questioning them? Has he been vetted to make sure that he's not the next Gacy? No, law enforcement is not caught up with Wrinkles. During the 2016 clown sort of hysteria that overtook much of the country, the first videos for Wrinkles came out in around 2014, 2015. And by 2016, the whole clown scare had happened. And basically from that point on, Wrinkles no longer appeared in public because he was just in Florida and also he was just too dangerous. I mean, essentially, where people were just seeing these clowns all over the place, calling the police. There were instances of people like shooting guns into the woods in South Carolina. We talked to the police chief there. It wasn't a good time for Wrinkles to be out in public. The only time that he went out in public since 2016 was he went out Halloween in 2017 and we actually filmed that's in the film when we filmed him when he went out and all the kids are sort of taking selfies with him and stuff like that. Halloween became the only safe space 
for wrinkles to be out in public. I remember those days because uh, that was right around the time, actually, right before the, uh, the movie Itch came out, and everybody thought this was a Warner Brothers prank trying to promote the movie. Right, yeah, 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 exactly. That all lined up in some really bizarro way. What follows in the documentary is a real adventure into the unknown with some great twists and turns. Were you prepared by just how far Wrinkles let you unwrap the puzzle? We felt very privileged with, with the amount of access that he gave us. Like, despite not ever revealing who his, what his identity is, he still sort of walked us through the whole genesis of the idea and the sort of way that he went online and sort of created this persona. So I think that for us, that was really illuminating and it was really interesting to see sort of how a viral video from like beginning to end and how that and a viral character essentially came to be. We were really lucky that he allowed us to see all that. The way you tell the story of Wrinkles uses the lens of a horror film style delivery. Could you talk a bit about that unique approach and maybe some of your horror influences? I'm a huge horror fan and making documentaries, you tend to not really be able to play with sort of horror tropes as much as you would obviously be able to with narrative filmmaking. But as we were making, you know, wrinkles, we would we would be speaking with these kids and sort of asking them about their what they thought wrinkles did when he was on the job or what they thought he was like. We were really encouraging kids to use their imaginations and sort of tell us about how they envisioned wrinkles. And a lot of them envisioned wrinkles as someone who kidnaps children and kills them. Kids also thought that wrinkles was just kind of a misunderstood guy, but he was kind of sweet and he would just play with kids and become their friend. And so we wanted to take these ideas that kids have and keep, you know, the film firmly rooted in documentary, but then visually create these little vignettes that would basically represent their imaginations, whether those were sort of horror scenarios, like the one little girl who talks about wrinkles killing kids and using their blood to paint artwork all over walls to other kids that would just talk about wanting to play with wrinkles and have them paint their face and things like that. So everything in the film is completely rooted to either a, a voicemail that a kid left or that several kids left or an interview that we did with a kid. And it just allowed us to really play around a lot with the myth of wrinkles and sort of get inside these kids' heads. More times than not, horror was the most appropriate vessel to get in there because, I mean, a lot of these kids just had these nightmare scenarios of what wrinkles was like. And so we wanted to have a lot of fun with making them scary and creepy. And yeah, I mean, for me, I just, I've always loved horror films. I was reading like Stephen King books in elementary school and couldn't read The Shining at home alone because I would be too scared a ghost would come out somewhere. So I've, I've sort of always been very obsessed with scary, dark things. So that's why this film in particular was really fun to make. Do you have any favorite films? I love The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love like the Evil Dead series, which are obviously a lot more sort of funny. I really like a lot of The Wailing, which it was a recent one I saw. I thought was absolutely terrifying. I'm very into the new stuff by Ari Aster. I love Predatory and Midsommar. I really loved Robert Eggers' The Witch. Yeah, those are just a handful of things that really have stayed with me. Have you been in touch <laughs> with Wrinkles since? And what is the next chapter of his story? I've stayed in touch with Wrinkles. He sort of can't believe how much publicity the film release has been getting. And, you know, the trailer sort of caught fire. So he's been pretty overwhelmed by that. That's been reflected in the amount of phone calls that he's been getting. It's really spiked in the past month, I'd say. So he's just getting hundreds and hundreds of calls a day. And yeah, as far as the next phase, that's a really good question. I think that we're sort of 
going to wait and see what happens with the film because the film does pull back the curtain more than it's you know ever been pulled back. So I think that people's idea of wrinkles might change a little bit, but they still don't know who's wearing that mask. So I think it hopefully will retain some of that intrigue and we'll just have to see where it goes. What are your thoughts on the psychologist that says that this prank is just going too far and that this may cause permanent damage to these kids and their futures? I think that with certain children, this could absolutely be considered child abuse. You know, I think that if kids have a fear of clowns or even just of strangers, I think that a parent that calls wrinkles up multiple times over a period of six months or so, or just spread out, not just in one single day. I think that that is something that, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I would agree that it seems like abusive, terrifying behavior for those kids. I think other kids probably might think it's kind of fun and bizarre. Colrophobia the fear of clowns. Do you think that that's something we're just, you know, we're born and we just adapt as we get older? Or is it something that's perhaps projected from somebody else who says, wow, clowns are scary. And then all of a sudden as a kid, you think, oh yeah, clowns are scary. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely think that we're in a time when clowns, the first thing you think of when you think of clowns is the sort of creepy clown, the the homicidal clown. It's not like a happy bozo type clown. And I think that a lot of that has to do with just how clowns are represented in pop culture, probably going back to the It miniseries and I guess that was maybe 1990. So yeah, I mean, I think that there just aren't a lot of sort of so-called happy clowns that are doing their thing, that are going to parties. And I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting just because I feel like now I feel like happy clowns to me are sort of even creepier than sort of creepy clowns. Just because, yeah, it's like that sort of unknowability of their intentions and they're wearing this makeup with this drawn on smile. And it just, it all seems so performative that you just sort of have to wonder how sort of genuine that is. And so I think that sort of the culture has shifted I mean, I absolutely believe that that's because of pop culture and films and books. Awesome, Michael. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Congratulations on the film and everyone check it out as of October 4th. Thank you, Michael. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Grab your popcorn, fright fiends. It's the Boo Crew all up in your program. To those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Before we introduce this week's guest, I want to introduce our special guest co-host. She's from a band out of Hollywood, California, with influences steeped in horror and genre. They formed in 2011, have toured with Marilyn Manson, Orgy, Theory of a Dead Man, Power Man 5000. They've been featured everywhere from Revolver Mag and Bloody Disgusting, and she played a vampire in Underworld Evolution. <laughs> Their latest album, 2018's Jawbreaker, is available everywhere now. From Nehi Fox, singer, frontwoman, lyrical and melodic genius Chrissy Fox joins the party. (laughs) Thank you. Finally. (laughs) Chrissy, what's the latest with the band? Well, we're just back in writing. Cool. Yeah, we're going to start recording some stuff through the holidays and then, you know, we want to get back on the road. 
early next year. So got to get an album out there. And Chrissy's a huge Escape Room and Haunt fan. Yes. So it made perfect sense for her to join us tonight to talk to like our to guest. to a loser level. <laughs> <laughs> to an obsessive, yeah. like an expert level, right? Yeah. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is an absolutely brilliant talent and creative force. He's been responsible for the conception, art direction, and production of the world's most revered horror and Halloween-themed experiences. Beginning at Not Scary Farm in Buena Park, California, the place that pioneered the haunted theme park back in 1973. He took up a role there and quickly became the premier maze designer in Knott's entire history, reinventing the haunt immersion with groundbreaking worlds like Special Ops Infected, Dark Ride, Paranormal Inc., and last year's The Depths. Through his own Plague Productions, he has not only consulted, but created and brought terrifying new life to attractions all over the planet, including Queen Mary's Dark Harbor, Trans Studio Indonesia, and this season's LA's Haunted Hayride. He also turned the concept of the escape room on its head with another company he created, Black Market Escape Rooms, and developed the revolutionary and highly rated murder code that people cannot stop talking about. All this while fronting legendary deathcore band Winds of Plague over the course of five phenomenal studio albums and countless live shows and tours since 2002, their most recent release being 2017's Blood of My Enemy, available everywhere now. An honor to welcome the general contractor of your nightmares, the Willy Wonka of the Willies, Mr. John Cook, a.k.a. Johnny Plague. Yeah. <laughs> you made me sound a lot cooler than I had. <laughs> the Willy Wonka of the Willies. I'm proud of that one. You're cool. No worries, man. You're cool. Hey, let's go back into your horror history for a minute here. What is uh, the first time you experienced a horror genre? Tell us about your first experiences. I think that the earliest experience I can remember is going to Blockbuster with my dad and getting the fog. Nice. Oh, which nice. at the time I thought was the most terrifying thing ever. I had nightmares for weeks on end after that. And then I rewatched it recently. <laughs> <laughs> it's still good, but for different reasons. Right, now, right, you know? right. Let's get into some of those films that helped you develop your creative vocabulary. They say you are what you eat. So what else were you watching that you think has now come out in your creations? Some of those informative ones. And I think it's interesting because uh, this whole, I guess, decade is making this big reemergence right now, but the 80s, right? I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. So I think uh, growing up and I guess being scarred by those movies when I was a young kid is kind of stuck with me and it's it's starting to come out through the work now, right? So like my all-time favorite movie, Monster Squad. Nice! And I'm just, I'm just, a, I just really love the the old uh, creature films and any any kind of practical effect driven movie from the 80s I'm, I'm into. And it's kind of funny now because I have a three-year-old and it, I can already see that starting to impact him. Like he wants to wake up every day and watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Never. And I didn't, that's not even my fault. Like he just, he just saw it on, on you know, on, uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime now. He just saw it on there. He's like, I want to watch the clowns. I want to watch the clowns. Uh, <laughs> and then it's spiraled out of control since then. Wow. Yeah, she'll be it next. <laughs> that's that's a oh, big jump. Yeah, yeah. maybe just, yeah. <laughs> See, I always wonder the difference between kids that are scarred with horror or kids that watch horror later in life and aren't as exposed to it early. Like, does that create a different fan? I think that's a question for Leo since he's a scientist. <laughs> yeah. Leo. <laughs> the wrong kind of scientist. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of science behind that, right? Probably like most of you guys. I mean, I experienced it early on. So for me, it was like the slashers, you know, yep. but I never found that scary because, you know, I was always watching those in daylight. But then the second the paranormal shit started coming on, like the exorcist and all that, I'm like, yeah, I'm terrified, man. Get the fuck, you know, turn that shit off, you know? Everybody maybe that's has good. that thing though, right? Like Totally. And yeah. I think, right, the paranormal, it's like, it, that's the unknown where, you know, the slashers, a guy with a mask or whatever. But right. I think there's something to it about it being paranormal and it being the unknown and having this big curiosity of the unknown and the afterlife. It's kind of, kind Have of messed, you messed with your psyche. Yeah. Had any paranormal experience? 
experiences? Regrettably, no. I love all kinds of ghost hunting and stuff. And I spent the entire last year living on the Queen Mary pretty much. Yeah. And I personally have not had anything, but I, I'm searching for it. Maybe that's the problem. Did you stay in that room, though? That, what, uh, what is it, B20 something, 203 or something? Or? Uh, B340. Oh, 340. Just I didn't know. I did not. I, I, we went in there and it was it's literally just gutted. I think they, they spruced it up since then, but... Oh. Uh, yeah, I think they offer you can actually stay in the haunted room and yeah. everything now. Ah, interesting. And for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, Queen Mary, a little bit about the ship, apparently the most haunted ship in the world, right? Yeah. And you had done, they do a, a scare, like a haunted theme park basically on the ship and you've been heading that up for a while now, right? Uh, last year was our first year involved and we, we head up the design and the art department side of it. So we were living on, like literally living in the bowels of that ship for months. In that place, probably in the middle of the night, many times. Correct. <laughs> it, it, yeah, almost every night last year, but uh, one of the most like uh, notoriously haunted places on the ship is supposed to be the, the first class swimming pool, which is still there. And I'm remember we were on the back side of the wall of that swimming pool right around the corner from it and we heard this this noise and we're like it's happening we were like so <laughs> <Yeah>. excited <laughs> and then we go and we look and pull a flashlight and this is like the biggest raccoon i've ever seen <laughs> coming at us I was like oh damn it <laughs> that's amazing well, describe the first time you ever experienced a haunted attraction where that was, what, what that was like. This was 2004. This is when I was really heavily involved with Winds of Plague and the band stuff. And we had this like gap time off. And I was like, oh, I need something to do because I'm, I'm a busybody. I had a friend who was working at Not Scary Farm. And he's like, oh, you should come check it out. So I went down there and I saw him. And I was like, this is amazing. This is something I want to be involved with. And I really loved like the whole like, this is cheesy to say, but the magic of it. You know how like we you see the this when the sun goes down, all the fog turns on, the lights turn on, the monsters are coming out. Like, this is amazing. Like, what did the, you know, how does this happen? So the next year, I was like, okay, I, mean, I want to work this event. So 2005, I went back and I applied and I was actually turned away. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't make the cut for whatever reason, but I had um, uh, some experiences as a carpenter. So I went and got a job as a carpenter building the mazes. And then from there in my uniform, I just walked into the employment center. I was like, oh yeah, they sent me here to get a job as a monster. So that's how I got my first job as a monster. <laughs> awesome. And then I was casted as a uh, delinquent punk rock zombie. So got typecasted right off the bat. And from there just kind of just never really left i guess so when did that actually grow into you um being involved like so you are? I, I stayed there seasonally for about four years while continuing to do the band stuff yeah. and then i saw an opportunity to make make the jump from doing it seasonally into like a, a full-time position in the props department doing all the set dressing and stuff mm -hmm. i always told myself as soon as i saw that opportunity i would take it so then i i took that and i was working there full-time and then i started to phase out touring in the band stuff and i worked in the props department for two years before getting a job as a designer had zero design experience <laughs> never never touched the programs i can't draw for shit i just watched a bunch of youtube videos taught myself autocad and in photoshop and all that stuff. And, nice. and that was about six years ago now. It's oh so funny God. how the most successful people generally are like technically not qualified. They didn't go to school for it. They just find their way in because it's like a passionate thing. That's really I, cool. I, and I think that's it, especially yeah. in the Han stuff. It's all driven by passion. right? 100%. And you have to be a literal lunatic, I think, to, to be able to, to pull it off because it's incredible the amount of like time, energy you have to put into it. Like I've had anxiety dreams every day for the last four years about <laughs> this stuff. You know what I mean? But it's like I, would, it. I wouldn't have it any other way. So. That's so cool. Well, I have to tell you that I'm, as I said, a super dork about escape rooms and I've done every single one that Los Angeles and surrounding areas. So I went out to Upland and did Murder Co. Ooh. and with my group of friends and I like made a list last year 
of like my top favorite escape rooms and it was my number one oh, it wow. was That's it was awesome. so incredible thank you how did you switch into the escape room thing i know it's kind they kind of go hand in hand but there it's a different thing so my thing with the escape room is i reached a point at knots where i felt like i hit a ceiling and i wanted i wanted to figure out what my next move was so i originally looked at okay i want to start my own haunted attraction. Well, I can't afford my own haunted attraction, but I could afford to do a, a scaled down version as an escape room. And then I was a fan of escape rooms. I've been to a ton of them in the area and I, and I found that was an interesting opportunity. I hadn't really seen anything like this in this area of integrating uh, actors and letting them kind of drive the, the experience. And so we decided to uh, scrape together as many credit cards as we possibly could and, <laughs> oh, and just and build the damn thing in, in hopes that people would come and, and appreciate it. So that's awesome. Thank you for visiting. Oh, absolutely. I, we drove all the way. <laughs> We're like, this yeah. is, it was so far exceeded even what I expected, oh, though. I thought it was really cool. And I know the drive sucks. So the I drive did suck, that. but I was glad I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you told us about it and you oh, were like, I it's did. totally yeah. worth yeah. it. And yeah, three of us haven't, haven't had the opportunity to do it yet. But I remember when she told us, we were like, oh yeah. my God, yep. this John from Knots and Paranormal <laughs> Inc. and all these great, like, this has got to be the most insane thing ever. Is I think the first time we ever went to an escape room, Chrissy had brought us to one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so, true. yeah, she and entered us into that world. But now, I'm, I mean, I'm so curious. I want to try it so bad. Also, in the early days of the Boo Crew, uh, Ash Costello mentioned it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, Ash came out. Yeah. It's one of those things where we open it and I quickly realized, like, I'm not cut out to operate a daily business. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to, like, make it. And, yeah. yeah, I yeah. realized I really appreciate the creative. So I since have sold the business and it is still operating and running, but now we're just uh, focused strictly on production. So you're not going to do any more escape rooms. You're going to keep with the haunt thing. We've been talking to a couple other companies about producing escape rooms for them. Yeah. But probably not on my own anymore. That's cool. Well, you did it good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I want to go back and revisit some of those early mazes and things that you designed. Was there something that you saw was missing at the time in the world of haunted attractions where you figured... I have some ideas that haven't been done yet. Here's some ways that I can elevate that experience. I think the theme park world is tough because you live and die by throughput, right? So you have to hit those throughput numbers. So I've done a lot in all my traveling with the band. I took a lot of advantage of going out and seeing other other events. And as well as like, we have some great immersive experiences here, creep and delusion and stuff, right? And I was really inspired by those types of events. So I started to break it down. And it's funny, I was actually using like, Disneyland, like the Haunted Mansion attractions is like modeling of how to get high throughput numbers, but having these like really immersive experiences. So really just kind of started to look and see how we could create this uh, interactive experience like Infected or Paranormal Inc., but be able to get the throughput numbers of a normal haunted attraction. And so once we figured out that formula, it was like we got the green light to kind of run with things and Infected, uh, the first year of Special Ops Infected, I think almost killed all of us. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> That's the one everyone's running around with. The, remember the light guns? The guns. Oh, that, yeah. yeah, that was yeah. awesome. I don't know if you went the first year when they were green. The guns were green. Yes, we did went the first year. Yeah, I I hand built every single one of those. Oh my gosh! No way. So was that shit like breaking down during like many times a night because there's tons of people on them too, right? It was terrible. Yeah. So uh, I I wanted the the recoil out of them. Like I wanted to feel like you're shooting a gun ish. So we bought um, a ton of uh, airsoft guns that have like the motors in them to shoot the BBs. Yeah. And then we bought a bunch of laser tag guns and we broke them both down apart. And we call them the Frankenstein guns. That's why they're green. 
we Frankenstein them back together. And uh, yeah, so built all, I think it was 120 of them in my garage. Like after I would work a full 12 hour shift at knots, I'd go home and sit there and drumming out all the, oh, all the pieces for it. That's love right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's like, going back to the point, you have to be crazy like to, to get into that. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. That was a rough year. There's a great picture of me just like just passed out dead in my office, uh, you know, after the first night of haunt that year. <laughs> but it took, you know, a lot of great people came together to pull that one off. And then uh, after that, we decided, okay, we don't want to deal with these guns anymore. So then we found like a new vendor, a uh, battle company that provided these, you know, they sold a, a similar type gun and it was way easier just to buy them than try and build them. Wow. What a cool experience though, too. That's yeah, such a great idea. You know, kudos to those actors, man. Cause some of them really play the role where like they get shot, they get, like throw them back and some of them to the ground. I'm like, and, wow, they got to do that all night long. And the unsung heroes of that attraction really are the squad leaders. Like they're the ones that are like getting that sense of urgency in there, you know, but the, the first year it was probably close to a mile lap each time. So they were taking these groups of guests and pretty much running them a mile there and back. Oh, geez. over and over and over. Oh, wow. And, yeah, it was. Uh, that do was, you audition those people to do it? Like, how do they get those jobs? We do. Yeah, we do audition every actor that comes to these events. But those people were actually a lot of uh, we recruited a lot of ex-military to come oh, cool. to really sell that, you know, that position, that role smart. Uh, and make it authentic. So and those are the those are the types of people that could pull that off because that's not an easy feet at all <laughs> that role is there a maze that you're the most proud of i think paranormal ink is my it's my <laughs> that's my baby yeah and, it's amazing and you know it's uh so infected was my first project and that wasn't very design heavy it was more like coming up with the operations of it and how that's going to work and like i said i didn't have any design experience so when i got the green light to do that maze i remember everybody was like it's never going to work i pitched to do this big showroom in this moment i remember like oh, he's not experienced i would hear i overhear people saying these things and so for that maze to come out and be so successful and to this day still be the number yeah. one maze at the event like i have a lot of pride in that one and it's back yeah. And yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, the maze kind of recreates being on a paranormal ghost investigation show. In the right. first room that you go in, everybody's kind of corralled in this one room and you get this massive scare all together in this one room, which is something I really haven't seen at a haunt before. And then your groups disperse into the rest of the maze. And, and, and just, I think it being, I have never seen that before in a theme park environment anyways. So I think pitching that concept as well as this ghost being part of this ghost hunting TV show, I, I remember somebody being like, oh, it's a little cheesy, don't you think? I was like, eh, trust me. So, you know, I think, but once we pulled it off and what's really great about that room is like, we can pack like 40 people, 40 to 60 people into that showroom. And to be able to scare all of them at one time is pretty amazing. Cause usually right. The, the rule of haunted houses is, is the smaller the path and the more you can separate people out, the easier they are to scare. Right. So be able to scare that safety in numbers is a, uh, is pretty cool. And that's the magic too, of that crowd control almost is leaving those gaps. That's the one thing I love about not so much is that you have that space right. in order to not see the scares reset. It's in the design, right. Of making sure you have enough angles and, and turns in the room so you can only see a couple of people deep in front of you but also the art department team there they do a really great job at like creatively breaking up the scenes with different you know fabrics and stuff in between the transitions so they do i think it's a knots is kind of a well-oiled machine right now they have a really great team in place was that one thing at the end where it turns normal for a sec no oh, yeah. but then the scrims go crazy and you see like oh everything's fine the nurse walking down and then everything all the shit's going down when the, yeah. the scrims dropping oh my god genius where's like that line because murder inc is so is r-rated and then you have to do the theme parks that are scary but they're still family like how do you 
walk that line? How do you know where to... Yeah, I think we were always trying to push it, but we want it to be scary and, and horrific, but tasteful in a weird way, you know? Like, right. you don't want to be, my opinion anyways, you don't want to offend people. You want everybody being fun scared, I guess, right? Right. So it's just kind of trying to be logical with that kind of stuff. And then, you know, things like Murder Co., I think we were able to push the boundaries a little bit because we marketed it as this rated R horror, you know, right. horror escape. So people that showed up and paid for it, they knew what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, something was not scary for them and people might not know any better. They just want to take their teenagers out to have a good time. So it's a little... A little, right. A little different there. I think Murica, we pushed some boundaries that we haven't pushed before. Yeah, know? I thought that it was, you know, which I, I was glad to find a place that actually went there because that's actually <laughs> hard. Not so I hadn't done. And they made me go last year. Like, yes, you have we did. To experience <laughs> this because, you know, it's a drive and yeah. it was like it blew my mind. I was like, what have I been doing this whole time? <laughs> and, you know, and for someone who wants to be like, pushed that was just i felt like it was oh, awesome. you know yeah have you been to any of the home haunts in the neighborhood and what are your favorite home haunts yes yeah, so every every year we pick a night and we try to go hit a couple of them so last year we came out to burbank and we did rotten apple yes, yes. You know, awesome. we did the backwoods maze yes. as well i live out way out in Rancho Cucamonga, we have a Helser Cemetery. I don't know if you guys saw that Midsummer Scream, but they do a really cool yard display. They're right up the street from me. So oh, cool. we go up there every Halloween night and stuff. But favorite home haunt? That's tough. I appreciate home haunts on a different level than yeah. I do most attractions. I, it's Because it's all out of pocket. It's driven by nothing but passion. It's like the rawest form of this art that we do. So it's hard to pick one, but I appreciate them all for, for different reasons. I love going to them. I kind of wish there was like, they had an app. <laughs> so like, we show up and there's like, or like, if you donate to a cause, like you get front of the line. <laughs> because like, as a parent, yeah, like, we can hard. only get a sitter right. for X yeah. amount of time. That's the one thing home haunts don't have, front of line, right? Yeah, yeah. they need, someone yeah. needs to like start that because I would so appreciate it more and I would go more. It's just so hard. And that's the thing about that guy was saying earlier too, right? These attractions live and die by throughput. My one takeaway for any home haunters that would be listening is to, if you see that line and you find a way to make it move faster, that just means more people are going to see your product and see your hard work that you've put into it, right? That's right. true. I want to touch base on that. Extreme, more extreme R-rated yeah, experiences. <laughs> I want to start with Chrissy and your experience at Murdico. We haven't been to Murdico. If you could explain what your experience was going through it. Like, what is it? What makes it elevated? First of all, it starts out even in the waiting room, the guy who helped us just check us in, he was like super like mellow and he was kind of like dorky, but in a creepy way. So I was already like creeped out by him. And I don't know if it was on purpose, but it was like so added to the experience. And we're just like, and then you go in and you get to pick your murderer. So we picked the clown course and it was just such a cool experience where it's like the two-way like interrogation almost mirror window and you can egg him on and you can choose his, the murder weapon and watch him murder somebody first and you just like so you're just spending all this time like riling the murderer up and he's it's almost like you're making him mad but then all of a sudden it gets turned around on you wow and then oh, then you have to try to escape and he with you the whole time and it's wow. yeah it was legitimately terrifying like i was with all grown men and they were like screaming like little girls <laughs> the whole time does all the action take place in one room like a no, traditional so escape you, room or once you get out of that interrogation room, there's like there's several rooms and there's a couple actors in there too there's several and it's kind of all part of the experience but the actors were really good too which really makes it move along and the clown was so terrifying but then it's like who do you trust are you supposed to 
listen to the actor or is it like you just feel like unsafe like they could touch you even though you know they're not supposed to and it it was kind of like walking the line of doing some kind of extreme haunt without making that's something like i'm not really wanting to ever do you know the really intense ones where they're making you throw up and feeding you shit and so i felt like that was shit, kind i of, signed us up for mckamey manor <laughs> we're going tonight yes <laughs> but yeah i don't want to give too much away but we were terrified the entire time so it was it was a pretty cool experience and there was a few like little tricks in there i mean you know you've you've been there but uh <laughs> but yeah up to the very end and and of course, like you're like walking to your car and you're like, is he going to come out and chase me? Really? The car? Yeah. What about it gives it that R rated thing that you're talking about that crosses the line? Is it was, was that Was is the it? murder not enough? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, how is it graphic? Is it well, super graphic? He cut Does a guy's it... dick off and threw it at us. Yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Off. That's it. That's that, the there, there's like <laughs> an element of like porn, which, you know, wasn't really that offensive, but it was, you know, probably wouldn't want a kid in there. But then there's it's like swearing and the clown. I, I can't. I haven't seen the other murderers, but he's pretty aggressive. I definitely wow. think, you know, depending who you're going with, you probably wouldn't feel safe with that with less than four people doing that by yourself or with two people. You'd be so scared. Other than there's one other escape room that I was legitimately scared at. And that one, which was Zoe, which was out in. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere. And it's a good but, one, too. Yeah, it's really good. But yeah, Murder Co. was just a, a different experience because it had the haunt thing, too, which I really like. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And what were you going to ask some about extreme haunts? Is that what you were going to? No, I was just. Are you into those at all? No. no and it's funny because uh, first off, I feel like Murder Co. was like 10 years ago. Just yeah. with how much has happened. So sure. Like, yeah, I'm sure. Listening to you explain it, it's like, oh yeah, we did that. It's kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> made, made me miss it a little bit. Yeah. But, um, it's funny, you picked up on a, a lot of things that were like intentional when we when we sat down to, to do the experience. One of them being the space and, and creating multiple rooms, right? So you, because that was my favorite thing about escape rooms is unlocking secret rooms and new doors. So I think in Murica, we had seven rooms total that you oh, go through. Wow. But anyways, back to the extreme thing. That was another thing. We, we wanted it to be extreme in rated R in content, but not in physicality when it comes to like, I personally hate going through cons and being sprayed with a ton of stuff and electrocuted and all that. Like to me, that's not fun. So that was uh, when we sat down to this, we wanted to make sure that it, it was fun in the same way. We love horror movies. We think horror movies are fun opposed to it being a weird torture thing. Yeah. Or do you consider yeah. that a haunt? Like, to me, that's not a haunt. People call those haunts, but haunts are, like, fun and spooky, and you get scared. You don't get hurt. Yeah. I guess it's in the, it's in, you know, the eye of the beholder of what it is. Uh, for, for me, it's I consider them more to be extreme experiences because, like you're saying, when I think haunted house, I think there's some sort of fun uh, you know, story-driven paranormal something going on more than just I'm going to tie you up and throw you in a trunk and make you eat dog food or whatever. Talk a bit about the development of Plague Productions and the niche you saw for it and what are some of the things that that led to outside of knots and everything. Plague Productions has been a very, very organic company. First started before I departed knots. We started picking up these um, side uh, fabrication jobs for bands. We were doing music videos. We were doing stage sets and all kinds of stuff. I don't know. We just needed a name to put down on a contract one day. And I'm like, uh, Plague Productions? I don't know. So that's just kind of how that started. And then when I was going to leave Knots, um, I have a great relationship with the entertainment uh, department there. And so I was leaving with the understanding that I was still designing for them. So I had to create an official 
company at that point. So that's when I did the LLC and made it official. And that was with Knotts. And then from there, you know, we picked up Queen Mary. Um, and now we're working with 13th Floor Entertainment, who is like the world's largest haunted attraction company. And they do all kinds of stuff, but they do they own the Los Angeles Haunted Hayride. We're doing Dark Horizon in Orlando. We've done all kinds of stuff. The company itself is a, an amazing collection of people. Like that's the way, best way I can, I can describe it. I feel like it's a very tribal thing. Like we're all just friends, you know, um, we work really well together. We hang out after it's an amazing group that it's hard to put it into words for me because it's so much more than just this company just the the way everybody kind of came together at the same time we've collected a lot of really great talent and a lot of really good people what's different that you're doing with the haunted hayride this year the whole thing so that's what's i don't know if you guys ever been to the yeah i went last year so i would say at least 90 percent of it's brand new i was so excited to hear that you're in there man we're 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 very excited i mean it's different too we've never done like a hayride so i mean it was super cool to be able to sit down and we were treating it like an actual ride, like how we, you know, if we were designing a dark ride, that's kind of what how we modeled this thing. I've always loved the Herod. I think the company's always done a great job at creating these very uh, unique scenes and, and doing a lot of cool gags and scares and right. concepts that I've never seen before. Like their trick or treat experience, I think is genius. We took that, but we built all new sets, uh, you know, the whole new storyline of Midnight Falls, uh, this living, breathing town set that's stuck in Halloween 1985 every night there. No way. Yeah, that's it, so cool. That's awesome. So, Super, super excited for the Hayride this year. Leo, and then could you tell the listeners a little bit about where they hold it? So, the LA Haunted Hayride takes place at the old LA Zoo, which is fucking haunted. <laughs> so, John, if you come back with no stories of ghosts, I call BS, man. I, I'm going to be disappointed. This I feel like I'm like a ghost repellent at this point. <laughs> I'm, too, I'm too eager. I'm too eager. That setup there for the Hayride is pretty damn amazing. Because you get to ride on this, I don't know how big that car is, man. It's like 50, 20, 24 feet. 24 by the wagon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And you're sitting on hay and people. Be, and people. Yeah. And people. people. We're changing that. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank I you. I so appreciate yes. that. Let me tell you, I did it a couple times pregnant. I was like, wait, <laughs> please. Yeah, I sat on, I, sat, I, went, I went last year and I sat on a lady's foot the entire ride. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and it's funny. It's like, uh, I, did, I had no idea that we'd be doing it this year. So that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, no, we're going to change the capacity of it, make it an enjoyable experience on the ride. Yes, you know? it makes oh, such man. a difference. Like not sitting on strangers. Like I was sitting on someone's ankle one year. <laughs> yeah, well, someone was sitting on your yeah. leg falls asleep but that is like that is everything like what you're saying right now is focusing on not only what goes on in the maze but the experience of walking through it simply makes such a difference right I remember going around the dark ride maze at Knott's which you did which is masterful yeah. and you go through that and at times you are literally the way it's set up the only person it feels like your, your group is the only group in the whole thing it honestly feels like that yep. there is nothing scarier picture yourself in Snow White's uh, scary adventures and then the fucking ride shuts down in the middle of the tree section. How scary that would be. Well, that's exactly what you created in Dark Ride. And it's just it, manipulating the crowd bleed in like that makes such a huge difference. Yeah. Speaking of being lost in the forest, and that's what I, my favorite part is about the Hayride, right? Being out in Griffith Park, you feel yeah. like, you don't feel like you're in LA at all. No, when that tractor pulls you into the darkness, you're gone. Yeah. Like there's nothing LA around you. 
There's exactly. woods and creepy sounds. And I think it's ve- it's very unique to this area. And yep. uh, we're excited to be able to bring that that kind of East Coast tradition to L.A. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see. And I mean, there's so much space there to use, too. There's that there used to be a queue there where they'd build like, you know, put a Ferris wheel or something else. Or is there something going on in that pavilion area there? Yeah, so we we're calling that this is our, our um, town square. OK, so, but so that's the center point of this festival for Midnight Falls. So we are doing making it feel like a Halloween fall festival in that area. Oh, that's cool. So I have some cool like food vendors out there. We're having a stage with uh, Monty Revolta. I don't know if you're familiar with him. The artist, he'll be out there playing every night. And, wow. Yeah. yeah, I love walking around that because just the way it was always lit and had that eerie ambiance to it. Where you're like, something weird about this, man. Like, you feel like you're on a set. Like yeah, you feel, yeah, you exactly. feel like you're in a movie. Right. We let that location kind of dictate what we were going to do out there. We kind of leaned into that because that was always my favorite part too. When you go out to the park, you don't, like I said, you don't feel like you're in LA. You feel like you're out in the woods. So that's, we really leaned into that feeling. We want, we want this event to really embrace why we love Halloween. And I'll tell you, there, there is one night where I think we should go and it's tied to a celestial event, a, re- a really common one, actually. That's the new moon. No moon, mm-hmm. man. Just darkness. Oh, wow. That's, that's the time to go. Yeah. <laughs> that's the time when is that? You shouldn't have said that. Now everyone else is going <laughs> to Yeah, exactly. Way to go. Way to yeah. go. Yeah. We'll edit that out. Shit. <laughs> 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 well, meanwhile, while you're becoming a pioneer in haunt innovation, uh, you're also making this these incredible music videos and music with Winds of Plague. You begin kind of getting into set designs of videos and concepts and what you see sort of when you go back is a cinematic evolution of the band starts to happen and the videos start becoming mini movies. I think it's around like 2013's The Resistance. There's a couple videos that open the gates of hell and say hello to The Undertaker that really start developing this look and you play this demonic character with these crazy fangs and the videos are actually terrible. Terrifying to <laughs> Did you find that being involved in all the in the haunt world started to creep in to the music? Absolutely, yeah. I love creating music and all that, but I feel like at some point, like I started wanting to do records just so we can do music videos. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that. <laughs> you know, and I kind of always wanted to kind of dabble in film because I've been so stuck on the, uh, you know, experiential side of, of entertainment. So that was kind of my my little opportunity to do whatever I wanted uh, cinematically, I guess, you know, and that's kind of what we came up with. But it's it's funny. Uh, it really kind of came to a crossroads with um, a new music video we just did called Nameless Walker. We actually filmed that in the Shadowlands maze at Knott's. Oh, cool. Whoa, yeah. I love that maze. Yeah, that's yeah. a great one. So cool. And we used some of the costumes and the characters from it as well. So that was kind of a nice uh, mix of my two worlds coming together. you incorporate with your live show like sets and productions man it's i get a lot of shit for this no i'm so bad i do <laughs> i do production for everybody else but when it comes to mine by the time we get to it i'm just it's like, you know, <laughs> gas like play. Right. <laughs> jeans yeah. and t-shirt and <laughs> yeah we, uh, but we, i love creating a sets and i've had i've had a design for ours for so long mm-hmm. and i just never pulled the trigger on it Maybe this year's the year. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. There's a track I wanted to highlight 
that was my first track that I discovered. It's a very short track. It's the opening of 2011's Against the World, and that would be that kind of children choir from hell mm-hmm. on Raise the Dead. I just wanted for my own personal <laughs> kicks, if you could tell me the inspiration behind that track and the making of that track. Yeah, I was definitely on a horror Halloween kick at the time. I'm sure that comes across quite clearly in that song. But we just wanted to do some weird spooky children chanting thing to kind of open it up. So that was actually just, we got a bunch of our friends that had kids and brought them over and trying to wrangle kids in into saying something on time is the hardest thing. Yeah. Ever done. <laughs> oh Scarier gosh. than any yeah. horror movie. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even do it myself, so I can't imagine kids. But yeah, no, that, that was kind of it. Was just wanting to kind of start, I think that was the first time we started dabbling into the, the more sinister type sounds, because uh, usually we did more like kind of epic orchestral arrangements, so that was the first time really digging into the, the horror stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and that note, you know, where did the idea come from to incorporate the synth uh, sounds and the orchestral stuff? I don't even know, to be honest. I think at the time, there weren't a lot of bands doing that in our genre. Anyways. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, I think there's always like the black metal bands and the more like, you know, epic metal bands. But right. in the stuff we were doing, there wasn't a lot of bands that were incorporating the orchestral stuff. So we just kind of just saw that void and started experimenting with it. And we noticed people responding to it. So we kind of uh, doubled down on it, kept with it. Since Halloween is kind of around the corner, what is a typical Halloween for you? Can't say backstage and nuts. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I, and now that I, now that I have a, a three-year-old, it's all about him. Yeah. Right? So we just take it off and we uh, take him trick-or-treating first thing, which is adorable. He was a Ghostbuster last year. Aww. <laughs> and he ran around like just like shooting all the neighbors so cute. as you do yeah as you do did you dress up or was it like a family i love the families that like fully commit and oh like he's slimer so and the yeah kid. yeah it, it's it's another one of those things like i feel like by the time we get to halloween I'm, it's not that i'm over halloween it's just that you're exhausted i'm exhausted yeah yeah i do dress up but it's, i'm not gonna lie it's pretty half-assed yeah. <laughs> i think I, I have like some like crappy creature from black lagoon mask that i'll just put on with whatever random thing morning at the time. <laughs> uh, but anyways, oh, I have to wear a mask on Halloween, right? We do that and then we come back and just hand out candy and then we go up to our friends at Helser Cemetery and last year I had a friend who did a home haunt called Reign of Terror so I went out there and scared the neighborhood kids in his maze and had a fun Halloween. That's oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> do you think, like, again, we're so, us living in Southern California, we're very spoiled by all these incredible things, all the events and attractions. Halloween kicks off in LA in September now. Again, for someone who like you who's ventured outside of Southern California around this time of year, been able to see what other cities are doing, is this exclusive to Southern California, all these things? Or is this going on recently all over the, uh, America? I think we're, we're very spoiled with uh, the collection of haunts that we have here, um, having so many big ones. And in this area, it's not exclusive at all. Like when I went out and saw like what the, the haunts are doing in the Midwest, the independent haunts, like that to me, like really raised my my ceiling for what I, I think can be pulled off in haunts like oh wow what they're doing like uh out, out there is incredible being able to just travel to the east coast in october and see what a real fall is you know is yeah. also is also an amazing experience in itself but no i think um i think there's a lot to be gained by going out and seeing these these other haunts throughout the country do you think there's a catalyst that set 
all this in motion where it created the need and the desire and people wanting to go out and experience these things? I mean, there's something to be said for it, right? There's such a draw to this like macabre side of, of life that, you know, is, is typically ignored day to day. I'm going to ask the scientist. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, I don't know what that answer is. But I think that there, even for myself, like I, I couldn't tell you why it is that I'm so drawn to this side of it, right? Like I, I appreciate art and I go to Disneyland and I nerd out on, on all the rides and the sets that go into that. But there's something about the haunted attractions that just totally like captivates me. And and like I said, I, I can go to any haunt, uh, home haunt through theme parks or whatever and really like just fall in love with what they're doing and, t- and really appreciate that that art form. Um, don't know why that is though. <laughs> yeah. It's funny to think about it because at one point, you know, not too long ago, there was knots in LA anyway, knots in Universal. Then all of a sudden there was delusion. Then all of a sudden, there was three more things like that. Yeah. And then it's just, it's crazy now. It's unbelievable. And the fact that they're all so successful. Yeah. Right? Like the, there's a huge demand for it. And then I think Midsummer Scream, that's a testament to this community and yeah. to, to the, this haunt fan base. Like that, it's in July and it's sold out two days in a row. Like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then you got Monster Palooza and then <laughs> yeah. Son of Monster Palooza is coming. Can't even up. get into Monster Palooza. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The line, the lines are on the block for that thing. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm not complaining. It's awesome. <laughs> it's true though in LA by the time you get to Halloween like you said we all do yeah. all the, these things together a lot and it's just like I'm done I don't even I'm like isn't Halloween over at this point like <laughs> right. we've done a hundred things and exactly but yeah I feel like we're really lucky and as tired as I am by the time we get to Halloween um, the day after there's I'm just doesn't matter. I'm devastated that it's gone. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. I get depressed. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, at least we have stuff like uh, black market escape room and all that it's stuff. True. To go we to need afterwards. a Christmas haunt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking at you. There was one for a while. Didn't Sinister Point have one? Sinister Point yeah. did one. Yeah. yeah. And then the company 13th floor that that we work for now. That's kind of one something they do through the rest of their haunts throughout the year. They do a, a Valentine's event, a Christmas event. They do the zombie laser tag over the summer. They do all kinds of stuff. They also own the great horror camp out oh yeah i remember that you know i've been begging them i don't i don't know if there's no uh, no word one way or another that would happen or not but i'm like please let's revive this thing because that to me was a great experience yeah is this the one in griffith park they did it in griffith park uh, i actually worked it the first year i was a chupacabra Oh, no way. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite moment ever scaring happened that night. We went out, me and a couple of buddies at like three in the morning. And we just started dragging people out of their tents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. Amazing experience. But, and th- but I don't remember where it was. It was in a weird park that first year. And then it moved to Griffith Park. I still think that that's such a an amazing idea. Right. What was the premise of it again for people who don't know? You're um, going camping. So they, they set up this full camp and uh, the year that I worked at anyways, the main experience was like kind of a scavenger hunt where you had to go out into the woods to these different areas. Like they had like a Bigfoot area and they had like a Mothman. It was like all kind of based off of these urban legends, really fun. And you had to go and try and like uh, collect these uh, skag items, they call them, and bring them back. There was all kinds of stuff that, that transpired throughout the night. They had big movie night, bonfires, all that stuff, but uh, tons of monsters and good time. Having been to uh, different haunts, especially the ones in the South, you've been to the one in Texas? This is a really big one there. Dark Hour? Uh, yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Dark Hour a few times. Yeah. Is there any uh, stunts or gags that you've seen there or any, anywhere else that just blew your mind? Dark Hour has some pretty cool... Uh, some cool stunt stuff. I think the one that really blew my mind the most was a haunt called Hell's Gate in Chicago. We didn't get to see it during the show, so I could be wrong, but I believe the setup is like you get on a, you park at this 
paintball field and get on a bus and they drive you out to the woods and drop you off. Shit. You have to like walk down this path and this huge mansion opens up in the middle of the woods. Oh, damn. Um, but uh, that was like, that haunt was mind blowing. You walked in and it, it was like, look, I know nobody can see what this room looks like, but it, it's like an incredible, like, like finished out room, hardwood floors, all that. And it, they really did a nice job integrating like escape room moments. So you go into a room and you have to figure something out before you move on and being able to see how they can operate and do things outside of the box that we can't do in theme parks due to you know the big demands of, of throughput and stuff it's incredible and, and uh, very inspiring to see that kind of stuff so tell us we the, the projects you're working on is there anything that we should not miss this hot season well you shouldn't miss not scary farm you shouldn't miss queen mary star harbor you shouldn't miss the haunted <laughs> i'm just kidding um <laughs> no sure, you know we just sure. announced uh, the new maze that we were working on for this year at not scary farm which is origins the curse of calico i don't know if anybody caught that but the maze tells the story of how the legendary ghost town monsters came to exist oh, oh cool. wow. yeah so um including the headless horseman no not the headless horseman yeah oh. no we we anchored him a couple of years ago to the camp snoopy scare zone which is the hollow so he was <laughs> right. kind of the icon of that so this is more about uh sarah marshall the green witch and how back in the 70s during the witch hangings um they would bring her up and she'd confess her innocence but right before they pulled that lever she would disappear oh uh, wow. in spitting this curse out over the over the town of calico that you know turns all the the townsfolk into these creatures our maze begins right after that moment right when they pulled that switch she disappeared is where in theory our maze begins so it's a super cool maze like it tells like i said tells the story tells the history of the event has lots of easter eggs lots of uh we, we did a lot of research to really pay homage to the people who came before us to put this event together and we're very excited about that project where is it held is it uh in the old trick-or-treat area no, it's actually where um the red barn was last year so gotcha in the heart of ghost town and uh one of the things we're doing this year that knots has never done before is we're integrating the queue as part of the experience <sighs> so the queue line is going to go through boot hill cemetery through all those back areas and we have actors out throughout there we we did a, we're doing a lot of really cool like video mapping projection effects to bring that area to life to to kind of st- tell that story like hey you're part of this angry mob you need to go hunt down this witch for us and then they send you into the maze that's awesome (laughs) that's so cool i can't wait wait. that's awesome all right well john thank you so much for joining us thank you for scaring the living shit out of us and and all the incredible work that you do this is awesome man thank you thank you that was a boot crew podcast episode 71 special thanks to our guests michael beach nichols and john cook follow john cook at johnny x plague on instagram that's Johnny with an H. Make sure you check out LA's Haunted Hayride, the Queen Mary's Dark Harbor, and Not Scary Farm this Halloween season. If you're in LA and you're listening to this at time of release, don't miss Michael Beach Nichols' documentary Wrinkles a Clown in theaters and VOD Friday, October 4th. And follow this week's guest co-host Chrissy Fox on Instagram. That's K-R-S-Y-F-O-X and her band at Mehigh Fox. Get their latest album Jawbreaker everywhere. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew, for horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, for disturbing and terrifying creatures.
creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.